Welcome to the Art of Strategic Reaction podcast. I'm Kyle Brost, a strategist and changemaker. I'm the CEO of Spark Policy Institute, founder and principal at Choice Strategy Group, and contributor to Forbes, Thrive Global, and Influencer. I lead at the intersection of strategy and impact, where I turn ordinary individuals into strategists and changemakers. Let's get started. Hey, 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 folks, this is Kyle Brost here with another episode of The Art of Strategic Reaction. Today we have on with us Felicia, uh, who is going to elaborate on her work to support and strengthen and advocate for women. She is a best-selling author of Women Accelerated. She uh, is the founder of Women Moving Mountains and has been a supporter of women in leadership for a long time and is always invested in changing the conversation around that topic. Felicia, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here today. Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited for this conversation. So tell me, when you say that you're invested and interested in changing the conversation, what does that mean? So right now we're talking about lack of opportunity for women leaders. We're talking about you know data that supports that women aren't making it to the C-suite. And my goal and mission is to change that conversation, that we see opportunity abound in front of us, that we see representation at the leadership table at every level in an organization, and that we've changed the conversation that we're having based on, you know, who's who's got the best and brightest ideas, who's bringing the latest, greatest in thinking, and we're firing in all cylinders as a high-performing team representative from individuals from all walks of life. So what do you see as some of the barriers today to, to doing that? So you say, you know, taking um, the latest and greatest ideas, regardless of where they're coming from. What do you see as some of the barriers to women being more involved in those conversations to, you know, have a seat at the table, to make the advances and progress that, that you hope for? What are some of the barriers you see to that? Yeah, I see two sides of it, really. One, there's some systematic challenges, right? We're our performance management systems, how we measure people, how we deem an individual's performance as successful or not is based on old paradigms and predominantly men-driven organizations. So there are some systematic things that kind of hold us back. But then there's also individual things that we as women leaders that we can put, get in our own way just as well. And then add on the challenges of, you know, motherhood, um, aging parents, being a life partner, and you throw in all of the other uh, societal norms that we hold as women leaders in our roles, uh, that becomes another level of pressure as well. And so it's looking at it both, how do we work within the system that we have, but also championing changes in the system? And then how do we actually manage our careers and our lives in a way that's you know, authentic for ourselves, but also that we don't check out just because we're tired at the end of the day? That's a really interesting idea. And I love the element of some level of kind of personal ownership. So it's not to dismiss the systemic kind of challenges and barriers and problems that exist, but what you said around taking acceptance and acknowledgement of your, your own situation and what it is that you really want out of it, rather than always dismissing or, or putting all of the blame on the system. Now, there are definitely systemic challenges and problems. Um, but sometimes it's easy to say, well, 
the system's the entire reason that I'm where I'm at. And I love that you're saying, or at least if I hear right, what you're saying is, yeah, there are definitely systemic problems that we need to solve. Uh, and on the, on the say at the same time, there's some individual things that we need to be really candid about and take some ownership of. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's, it's to me, it's moving beyond a victim mentality sometimes that we get in, in spiraled in our heads. It's moving beyond the limiting beliefs that the system's broken. And it's more standing in our own power as an individual and saying, what can I do differently to get to where I want to go? But I think that is the beginning of the solutioning is getting really clear on where it is you want to go. Yeah. You know, organizations have gotten really savvy at, at increasing employee engagement. And we've got all of these awards and accolades for best places to work. So the, the businesses are trying, right? They want to treat their employees with respect. So they'll lay out the kind of the golden path for you of your path to promotion. And it looks a certain way. But what you have to decide is what is it that makes your career successful? And it could be that ladder or it could be this ladder over here. And knowing what you want out of your career, what's important in your life to bring to the table in the conversation as well, then helps you get really clear on the kind of the good fight that you want to have moving up the corporate ladder. And that's true no matter who you are, right? You, you have to have the end goal in mind so that you know that you're working in a way that gets you where you want to go. Yeah, absolutely. As you were saying that, it reminded me of a client I worked with, um, a very, very large dairy in the United States. And uh, we offered this leadership development program and they invested heavily into it. So they would send anywhere from 50 to 75 people um, through twice a year through this leadership development program. Um, which was unique for a dairy. And they even built a facility. So they built an entire facility just to house the workshops. I mean, they invested heavily in it. And of those 50 or 75 people they would send through, they said that usually about five to seven of them ended up becoming supervisors or leaders in the organization. And so one day we were having this conversation, we were talking about the, the numbers. And I asked, well, why do you keep investing in it if you know five to seven uh, people actually come out and become supervisors. And the thing they said was really insightful. They said, look, sometimes for us, it's not just about helping these leaders gain the skills and expertise to be leaders, but by having everyone go through this program, we actually help people figure out whether or not they want to be leaders, whether or not they want to be supervisors. And if they don't, now they have the expertise, they know that they don't want to, and they're much more engaged in other types of work because we've taken that off the plate. They've already gone through the experience and they've said, hey, after learning all this stuff, I don't actually want to be a supervisor. And yet if they don't send them through that, it's kind of this ongoing thing where they're trying to climb this ladder that maybe is not even the right ladder. Yeah. That's exactly right. And what a great, insightful organization to partner with and, and seeing that journey. And, and I've had clients the same way, just thinking through the individuals I work with one-on-one. -on -one. I, I had one client, she was a rock star, and they were fast tracking her promotions. And she was firing on all cylinders and she was loving it, right? But what she realized as well, similar, is she didn't want to be a leader of people. She wanted to be a deep subject matter expert that was able to bring her best capabilities to the table and to support of a company that was had a purpose. And, and so she actually got off that corporate ladder, transitioned to, transitioned to a different department, 
And now she's like globally representing the CEO of this business now. And she's thriving. And so she's got the life she wants, the career she wants, by actually taking a deep look of what is it that she wants out of her career. Yeah, I love that. I love the this element of really taking the time to explore what is it that you want out of your career? Um, is this the right path? I think so often people get just you know pigeonholed or we direct them toward these uh, levels of progression. And people assume as soon as they take a career that the natural level of progression is to you know go into supervision or leadership. And if you're not going that direction, then somehow your career is um, you know less valuable or less meaningful. Uh, and yet you know you have examples. I have examples of when people really take the time to explore what it is they want out of their career, they're able to find much higher levels of satisfaction and at the end of the day, produce much higher levels of value. Right. That's And that's the ticket. It's being satisfied with where you are in your contribution in life and in the world around you. So for that person who's out there who um, maybe has just accepted this path, and so for who knows, you know, five years in their career, 10 years in their career, 15 years in their career, they've been trying to pursue this corporate ladder, um, but haven't found the satisfaction they're looking for. What do you suggest? I think it is taking a moment to mentally get off the ladder, right? And to take some time to, you know, have the conversations internally with a trusted partner, a colleague, uh, a friend or a coach and, and ask the hard questions. Is it that you're tired of the path because it's hard, um, but it's stretching you in great ways? Or are you tired of the path because it really doesn't feed your soul anymore? And I actually went through a very similar situation myself. I, I grew up in the big consulting firms. I was on the path to partnership. Uh, in fact, I was in the very early stages of, of the process. And I had a heart 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 conversation with myself. It's like, this is really not feeding my soul anymore, right? I set this goal 20 years ago. It's no longer the goal for the next 20 years to be partner. My goal was to really have more of an impact in my business and in my life. And I had a very tough conversation with myself and my life partner at the time because I had a very lucrative opportunity in front of me and in a place where I was really good, right? My skills were very much so uh, needed and recognized for being top of my game. But I had to have that honest conversation with myself. And I decided not to go for that path to partner and actually left the, the large consulting firm and started out on my own which how fast forward four years later is how I got to establish Women Moving Mountains. And if I would not have given myself that permission, I would never be where I am here today. And the impact I'm having today is what lights me up, right? I'm, I'm serving my purpose in a business that matters to me, uh, supporting the community and the women leaders that I, I support, which gives me the best of both worlds. I think that's a great example. Um, and I love that, you know, you said something early on in that to ask the hard questions. I think a lot of times we don't, we don't want to ask the hard questions because they're hard. Yeah. Uh, and I think that there's this element to hard questions and this is, there's a question in here for you. Um, there's this element in asking hard questions of how much emphasis do I put on the data and numbers versus how much emphasis do I put on my intuition or my conscience or those other, um, 
less tangible aspects of decision-making. So how do you help somebody walk through that? If they're willing to ask themselves hard, hard questions, how do you help them determine how much emphasis to put on the kind of hard data? You know, I'm going to make this much amount of money in, in this amount of time at my career, and I'm going to have these things versus the intuitive, conscious kind of things that say, well, I just feel this certain way. Yeah, that's a great question. And I'm going to give you a really interesting answer. It, and it truly does depend, right? And, and I say that not too flippantly, but it's like, what motivates you? If you were financially and numerically not, uh, motivated, the idea of taking a career that might feed your soul in a different way, but cuts your paycheck in a quarter, that would just scare the holy moly out of you. And you're like, there's no way I can survive on that because I am very financially motivated. I have a life a lifestyle expectation that I, I want and have for myself and my family. And so in working with that person, it'd be focusing on, okay, so what is the thing that fills your soul that you could do in a different way other than your day job? So they might be, you know, the referee at the Little League game. They might be on a board of a directors of a nonprofit that's making an impact in a way that's meaningful for them. And so for that person, it's, it's a slightly different conversation than the other person that's more, I, I'm in it for passion. I want to definitely feel my impact in the world that I live in, the, the community I support in. I'm less worried about financial remuneration. I'm less worried about you know, having all of these numerical success factors that the world says is good. And I'm okay with following my passion, knowing that my income is going to be a lot smaller, then that's a different conversation. Um, and so it really does depend on it, how you're motivated as an individual, which category you put the most efforts in. But I like to ask questions around all of them, Right about you know spiritual, financial, family, uh, friends, career. What what does success look like in each of those categories for you? And then that helps you peel back the different layers of who you are as a person to get closer and closer to the truth of where you want to go. Mm, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think um, what I heard in all of that was, if you're going to go through this process, you have to be brutally honest with yourself from the beginning around what motivates you. I mean, yeah. like you said, if, if you're a numbers person and that's the kind of stuff and security and those kind of things are what motivate you, then then through this process, you want to emphasize or focus on those things. Whereas if it's more of the, the intangible, um, you know, feeling those kind of things that motivate and drive you, then there's probably a different process to go through. Right. Yeah. So I'll share a little trick for you. Um, just if you're thinking about it in more reality terms, like, it's like that sounds great, but what does that mean? Yeah, like, that'd be great. So write down the 10 things that are important to you, right? In your career, in your life, what are those categories? And, and then you rate them on a scale of one to 10. So how satisfied am I with this area? So financial remuneration, that's an easy one, right? How satisfied am I with my current paycheck? You know, one to 10. Okay, where do I want it to be? You know, does it need to be a 10 and I'm only at a five or, hey, maybe I'm at a 10 and it's really a, only a two is important to me. And so that starts to give you some tangible things to look at of what's important, where the gaps are. And then as you're thinking through where to go with your next career move or life move, then you have some choices in, ahead of you that takes it a little bit more out of the abstract and puts it more tangible things that you should not want to be looking for. Yeah, I like that. That's great. Thank you.
So there's a, another aspect here and um, a recent conversation with a, that I had with a potential client, we talked about these two things. So there's this um, goal aspect of these kind of self-reflective efforts, which is what do I ultimately want out of life, out of a career, out of family, out of whatever the, the aspect is you're looking at. So there's the goal, the end state, what's my desired result. But I think a lot of times the other piece that gets overlooked and you've actually touched on is the actual process of getting there. So some people are very goal-driven and some people are very process-driven. Mm-hmm. So some people are very focused on the end state. Here's what I want to get out of it. And then there are other people who are kind of journey process-driven. Here's how I want to get there. And I think we, as as coaches, as mentors, as advisors, a lot of times we always go to this goal aspect. What is the Mm -hmm. result you want to achieve? And we neglect looking at the process. How do you want to do it? Because some people are more driven by the process than they are the goal. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I personally subscribe to the process journey perspective myself. Um, And I I find that keeps life more interesting for me. But I respect others that, you know, very much so goal oriented. Uh, But to me, half the fun in life is that journey. And and if I would have been more goal oriented in my career, I might not have had some of the, the opportunities that I've had. Right. So I started as a police officer. Um. I worked in family violence, and I, I worked in HR, then I worked at a big Ford consulting firm. I, I lived in Afghanistan, Russia, and worked in Mexico and more globally. And, you know, I picked up and moved to La Jolla, California, um, not knowing anyone here in town, but I, now I have the most beautiful, perfect life in the world. But it's all been an intention of having a career that matters and, and serves a greater purpose and that I have an impact in my career and my life. And that's been my guiding North Star, have you? And so all of the choices I've made in the in the process have led to that and fed to that purpose um, with you know very non-traditional ways of getting there. And, and it would be just interesting to see if I was more linear thinking, more goal oriented, some of the opportunities I actually probably would not have taken, right? Like who yeah. wants to, you know, run off and go to Afghanistan for 13 months while they're working on their next biggest promotion at a firm? Uh, not, to, not too many people would, ta- you know, set that goal or take that opportunity. But because it fit my larger purpose and journey, it was like, it's a no brainer for me. It's like, let's go. And it was yeah. probably one of the best best career moves I've ever made. Well, that's a uh, that seems to be a consistent theme as I talk to different folks um, who have found success in a variety of spaces, is that their journey itself tends to be a pretty eclectic, um, non traditional journey. It's not, mm-hmm. and, and almost all of them would tell you um, that they didn't, they couldn't have predicted, or they didn't see where they were necessarily going, except in hindsight. Yeah. Why do you think that is? Why do you think that this, this, I don't know, that there's some correlation between success and these non-traditional journeys? I think there's a certain level of risk-taking for success. Um, I think folks that subscribe to you know high performance are looking for ways to stretch and grow themselves. They don't um, like kind of resting on their laurels, have you, to use an old phrase. And so folks that 
have that certain tenacity or willing to do different experiences and to take certain chances and risk. And that leads to a certain level of a success. I mean, especially here in the U.S., our whole entrepreneurial mindset, right? We, we hear about the ones that make it. We don't hear about the ones not, not as fortunate, but they're all around us, right? I live in San Diego and I have tons of entrepreneurs running around town and they're so inspirational. But that's also a, you know, that's a risky proposition for other folks that want to have a reoccurring paycheck and they want that financial solvency of having a corporate position, but where they find other ways to, to grow and stretch themselves. And it doesn't mean they're not as successful. They're just having different stories and different experiences themselves. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I like the willingness aspect. And I think that that willingness, so willingness to try, willingness to take risk, um, that's not limited to entrepreneurs. It's not limited to people who want to take huge risk. Um, mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to just be in the career space, right? As you're saying, some people might have a very traditional career, but are willing to take some risk in other places or willing are willing to try in some other spaces of their life. Um, and by doing that, you know, you add up uh, these opportunities that tend to lead to success. It reminds me of um, both Clayton Christensen and Tim Brown both talk about this, the, the idea that successful people have um, a breadth of experience. So they have experience across a wide swath of different things. And then they have a depth of experience in just a few critical areas. Um, and so by having both a breadth and a depth, it allows you to make connections that you might not otherwise make. And in those unique connections tend to be really unique and powerful opportunities. Yeah, I would agree with that. So what, uh, what have you learned about careers uh, in your coaching that may be a unique insight for folks? A unique insight on careers. Um, I guess it's not all that unique, but it, but it's reaffirming that you're in the driver's seat of your career. Mm. And and a, and a lot of conversations that I have with my clients is that in my in my opinion, you should treat your career as a CEO treats their business. Right? They think strategically. They think. Strate tactically they think you know one year three year five years am i performing am i hiring the right people do i have the right support of the organization all of the brilliant tactical and strategic things in running a business they apply to us in our careers as well and so when you really start owning it like a ceo does and you know putting your personal board of advisors in and in, in place right who's your support system who's your advocates when you're thinking about what you want to be in one year three or five years but then you're also remembering that your life comes with you right you can't just put your life aside for your career and some of us have done that in the past but you know my my opinion is that bring that part with you and have a fulfilled life and to create the same goals for your personal life of one, three, and five years, where do you want to be? And then you create an integrated plan of that, like you would a business plan. That contributes to success and fulfillment, no matter what the journey is, no matter how you set your goals and every, everything like that. Different people are motivated by different ways. But when you start thinking about it as a leader of your own career, that's when the magic happens. Yeah, well, in that one insight alone, to think of your 
self as the CEO of your own career, to put yourself in the driver's seat, that one insight alone can transform someone's career. Instead of being this passive recipient of a system or this passive recipient of an organization or circumstance, uh, by actually putting yourself in that driver's seat and being intentional, uh, that's, that's transformative. Yeah, indeed. And then too, the fun part of that, because we all struggle with time management these days and information overload. When you're driving your career that way, you have a clear map of what you can say no to. Right. And that's just as important in, you know, deciding where you're going to spend your time is where you're not going to spend your time. And you have the opportunity to say, okay, does this help me serve my, my business goal, my personal goal, my family goal? And if we can't say yes, then you have permission to say no to it because it's not helping you get to where you want to go. Absolutely. And I think not enough people recognize that there's a ton of power and that people within the organization will actually respond well and appreciate when you are verbal and you actually say no to something. Uh, as, As the CEO of a company, one of the things that I like the most is when I ask someone about something, if I ask them to carry out a task and they're just extremely candid and they say, I can't do that um, either at the quality level or within the time frame that you're asking me to do it in. And I'd much rather have them come back and tell me that and say, no, I can't do that right now um, than to say yes and just try to appease me and then mm-hmm. not deliver on it um, at the quality or timing that were, was expected. Yeah. I mean, that, that right there is the magic and, and the power of d- the decision-making, right? Because as, as a leader myself with my teams, just because you say yes, that doesn't ultimately lead to me being happy as a, as a boss, right? You saying yes to something that you believe in and you know you can hit it out of the park and we all look good. That's what makes me happy as a leader is that you are able to shine. It's not that you're saying yes, knowing that we're not going to shine together. And I'd rather think through alternatives with my team than to, to have a black eye in the organization, right? Yeah, for sure. And, uh, and the, to, to your point, you know, it's not just saying yes, that's the appeal. It's really quality work and engagement. That's the mm-hmm. appeal. So when somebody tells me no around something, but I see them over delivering on other things, that's when I get excited because I know that they've been strategic about how they're allocating their time and their energy. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. It's a great day when that happens. Yeah. So going back to kind of the women moving mountains idea, where do you see the conversation in five or 10 years? I hope um, that the, the, the whole premise behind women moving mountains is no longer relevant, right? I hope that in five and 10 years that we have equality at the leadership levels at the C-suite and on the boards of our, our companies, and that it's no longer an issue. That's my desire. But if our history and the data that's coming in uh, tell me anything, is that that's a very ambitious goal to have. Um, and so what I'd like to see is that we're just standing up into our full potential and that we have more than 20% of the executive level be represented by, you know, women. Women make up 50% of our workforce here in the U.S., but we're only 20% of the executive team. And if you look at the C-suite and, you know, the Fortune 500, it's even smaller, like 6% or something like that. That kind of makes me sad 
And it also makes me a little angry as a, as a woman leader. It's like, where, where are my, you know, comrades in arms, right? Where's, where are my, my fellow women leaders? And I want to see all of that change, but it starts too with us as individuals willing to step up and to be heard and to really be the beautiful leaders that we can be and finding a way to manage our career that allows us to manage our lives and that we're having those conversations about the support that we need versus whereas sometimes we suffer in silence and we just work harder and put our heads down and that doesn't get us there. That doesn't change the conversation, but to be that CEO of our career, to stand up and be counted, to be heard and to be the beautiful leaders that we can be. How do we have that conversation without alienating those people who, those women specifically, who Mm -hmm. don't want a career and are, you know, feel fulfilled and uh, I don't know, called, so to speak, or however you want to phrase it um, to to stay home and and be a wife and a mother or, uh, or travel the world. You know, I don't know, whatever it is, but they don't want the career route. They don't want to be a leader. How do we have the conversation without alienating them? And, and the reason I ask is, I think it's probably obvious, is that there's, it seems to be this um, kind of dichotomy or this challenge of um, pushing for this conversation to happen where there's equality within um, organizations and corporations. Uh, but then the, this uh, population who starts to feel alienated, like their role in society is being undervalued. Yeah. From where I sit, I I see a little bit differently. I I don't see it being undervalued. What I see is judgment on both sides of the table. Um, I I have friends and colleagues that are working moms and they're always, you know, feeling like they're never firing on all cylinders with work and, and partner and mom. And then I have friends that are stay at home moms are like, oh, well, I wish I were, you know, more active. I wish I had the accolades of a career, but yet, but we judge each other on both sides of that aisle there. It's like the working, working moms are like, oh, they don't understand. I can't do soccer mom duties. And then you've got, you know, stay at home moms judging the corporate women saying, oh, well, you need to, you know, be more present with your children. And I think until we stop having these judgment calls, and we start embracing each other as individuals and individuals that are impacting the world in their own unique way, whether it's through motherhood or working in a corporation or starting, you know, our own business. And when we appreciate everyone's uniqueness and everyone's path, that will truly get over some of the hurdles that we have today in front of us. Well, and there's a ton of judgment going on. It seems like uh, <laughs> that's one thing that spans society today. Yes, is this- it does constant level of judgment. Yeah. And there, that's like a whole deeper conversation. It's like, if we could just work on being happy with ourselves, happy with our own intentions and our own choices, um, there's less to go around for judging others. Right. But that goes back to where we started in the earlier conversation is like, being really clear on what our success is, what success looks like for me and pursuing that, and there's not a whole lot of energy left over to be judging other people uh, mm-hmm. because I'm fulfilled in what I'm doing, and I know I'm living my best self and my best career and my best purpose, and the rest of it doesn't really matter. Well, and it does, to your point, it does take a ton of energy, right, to, mm-hmm. to judge 
um, constantly and to vocalize that judgment and create that conversation takes a ton of energy. And so I love what you said. If we were focused on some of these other things, we wouldn't have the energy to do that. Mm -hmm. I think that's really insightful. I think for somebody who's who finds themselves in a position where they're judging, it's a great question to ask is what am I not doing? Um, that's given, that's allowing me to have the energy to do this thing. What am right. I missing out on? Right. What am I not pursuing? What am I missing out on because I'm spending so much energy judging that if mm-hmm. I weren't spending so much energy judging, I would be able to devote to something more meaningful and personal to me. Yeah. When, and I've often found when we're judging, is we're not really judging that person. We're actually making a judgment on ourselves because we're not living our fullest, right? We're not asking that question as what, what's my best service, my best purpose. And we get in a little bit of this jealousy game through that judgment, but it's because we're not stepping into who we should be and who we know we want to be. And so if we do that and, and look within then I think we'll all be oscillating at a higher level of, of excitement, uh, motivation, and just being. Yeah, that's great. And I, it's this idea that, um, that some people find their worth through um, comparing and contrasting themselves against other individuals mm-hmm. versus finding their worth through personal gratification, through personal progress, through personal achievement and improvement. And so it's, it's easier to just tear down other people and say, well, I'm at least better than all these people than it is to focus on personal achievement or growth. Or I should say it seems easier, but to your point, there's an, an actual energy and emotional toll to that judgment that often gets neglected. And I think it's, it's harder today. I, I think maybe it's just my own experience, but I think it's harder today with all of the, the technology out there where you can see everyone's best selves or their representation of their best selves. Um, Cause you know, even myself, you know, when I'm looking at what I need to post for social media for my own business and my own family and friends, it's like, well, what are other people doing? Oh, um, am I living my best self compared to that person's best self? But I'm like, the question should be, am I living my best self period? And, you know, be real and share that versus comparing myself to someone else's best self, right? Because we're two different people. We've got different lives, different families, different goals and purposes. There's really no comparison. Uh, but it's, I think it's a lot easier today with all of the the technology and the the posting and sharing and everything that goes on. So it's, it's really hard. But I think it's worth it when you can take a step back and say, no, I am, I am living my path, my purpose, and really stepping into that. Yeah. I mean, that's a whole nother soapbox to get onto, right? Oh, yeah. About For sure. <laughs> uh, what social media looks like and how it influences people's perception. And to your point, and it's a conversation that's been ha- taking place for a while now mm-hmm. is, you know, it is, it's the, it's the, it's all the good stuff, right? That people post on social media, which can give a false impression about what someone's life is. But to this entire conversation, part of that consideration should be what really does matter and is of value to me personally. So rather than just uh, gravitating toward the car or the vacation or whatever it is, really asking yourself, are those the things I care the most about? Do I care about 
you know, driving a Ferrari or do I care more about having a healthy relationship? Do I care more about, you know, taking six vacations a year or do I care more about serving my community? Um, and it's not that all of those are mutually exclusive, but the point being that sometimes in the social media world, we just gravitate toward those things we see so often that try mm -hmm. In all honesty, try to define success for us versus, as you've been saying, defining success for ourselves. Yeah. And that's an interesting point there is going back to the values piece of the conversation, too. It's like defining success is one component of what I call self-mastery. But then the second component is, is what, what are my values? And then choosing careers, choosing opportunities that align with your values as well. And, and those are, that's another layer of, you know, what works for you and the path that's for you um, is staying true to that. Cause it's, it's really easy to get what I call shiny object syndrome, right? The nice car, the fancy vacations, but if your values are more aligned to community orientation, you're not going to be in harmony with yourself if you're going after the flashy car versus doing something that's building your local community. Yeah. And it, it's, it's almost just a, another way of um, highlighting what you said in terms of people often aren't judging um, someone else in the scenario. They're really judging themselves. And this, mm -hmm. I think this values piece surfaces through this idea of, you know, cognitive dissonance, the kind of element mm -hmm where I know that I'm not living up to something that's of value or of, of meaning to me. Um, and I attack something without even recognizing that it's because I've created this dissonance within myself. I've created this, this incongruence between what I claim are my values and the way I'm living my own life. And rather than charging head at that and being brutally honest with myself, I go out and I you know, find judgment with other, other folks or other situations or contexts. Mm, that's very well said. Yeah. I, 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 I always look for how do we create harmony uh, in our lives and our careers. And so I think that's spot on. So, I mean, this is a little bit off, ta up, off target, but I think it's a meaningful conversation. If, if I'm this person who's, you know, one of the, whatever it is now, 3 billion people who use social media and I'm hopping on, I'm browsing social media. How do I keep these things in mind so that I don't get caught up? in the whirlwind that is, you know, the social media life? You know, one, one thing I try to practice uh, that might be useful is coming from a place of curiosity and, and looking for the joy for others and celebrating others' successes um, in that mind frame. Um, it's like, oh, I wonder how, you know, they're doing this. I wonder the impact that it's having for their career, their lives. And I want to celebrate that with them, right? And, and celebrate the joy that they're having by sharing that pivotal moment in social media. Because, you know, on one hand, it's you're putting yourself out there in the universe when you post something. But then I want to share that joy with them because it meant something for them in their lives. And I want to appreciate that. And so that helps me celebrate them versus taking ownership of whatever is going on in my head, right? Or whatever, if I'm having a, an exceptionally challenging day and I want to pass judgment or I want to have the, you know, the comparison monkey of, oh, I'm not good enough because, you know, look at so-and-so, they're having great success. I, I try to keep that curiosity and that celebration so that 
it's truly honoring them and not getting into my own limiting beliefs or my own fears or any of those other self-limiting things that we do in our career. That's really good. I would have taken it somewhere different, but I like yours a lot better. Uh, my initial thought was to just approach all of this with a high level of skepticism in terms of what reality is. But I like, I, I really do. I like the the idea of celebrating with them, turning those things into a place of harmony, a place of positivity uh, versus the skepticism piece. I think the other element to it um, that may be of some value is to just be intentional about that. I think mm -hmm. social media is this very unintentional game, meaning when I find myself, maybe I'm only speaking for myself, but I don't think so. When I find myself with five or 10 minutes here or there, I jump on with zero intention other than mm -hmm. to kill five or 10 minutes. And when that's how you approach it, it becomes very easy to fall into those traps. Whereas if you're very intentional about it, if you even block off specific time that allows you to, to do that versus just hopping on whenever, and you become more intentional about your use of social media, then I think you're better able to do those things, like you say, in create harmony and celebrating with people versus letting it take you wherever it does. Mm, yeah, I like that. I think that's a great uh, piece of advice to be intentional. Because, uh, I mean, that's an underlying theme for it our whole conversation, right, is be intentional with wherever you are and whatever you're doing. And that way you'll be more satisfied with the outcome. Yeah, a hundred percent. I actually know, just thought of this, but one of, uh, one of the guys that I work with, who's a very, very successful entrepreneur, um, he actually, uh, Monday morning, he deletes all social media apps off of his phone. Um, and then Friday when he's done working, he reinstalls them. And so he's only on social media, the last part of Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and every single week he goes through that routine because he's so focused on his goal of, of a successful business and they're doing phenomenally well. They just opened a new office in China. Um, but he has that habit of recognizing that I don't want this to be part of, I don't want this to distract me from my real goal. And so every Monday morning he deletes the social media apps that he has and then Friday he reinstalls them and, uh, and just has those two and a half days. Oh, that's a great tip. I love that. Well, so what comes next for you? I mean, obviously you're doing some really amazing things um, in being a voice for women and advocate for women and leadership. What comes next? Yeah, it's just, it's more. It's more uh, big. It's more bold. It's, it's more the same. It's more advocacy. Um, you know, we've got events scheduled here in San Diego coming up. And my intention is to create space nationally. And so we're looking at San Francisco, we're looking at Atlanta, we're looking at New York as a way to create a space for high level women to come together to work on their professional and personal uh, goals and development and support each other, right? It, there is power in numbers. And my, my goal is to create that space and expand. And so more of that, uh, got a couple of other book ideas noodling there because I find that um, my clients learn more through experiences and shared experiences with others. So taking a less of a how-to approach, but a more of how others have gone before us and have great success in sharing those stories. Uh, so a couple of ideas percolating there as well. 
Very cool. We're, we're, we're excited to see where all this heads. And just um, you mentioned the book and the events, just so people know, the book is called Women Accelerated. It was a number one bestseller uh, in career, uh, career guidance. And then the mm-hmm. events that you're talking about, one is increasing the impact of our communications. And the April one is leading fearlessly. And so people can get a sense of the kind of topics and information. If people want to stay in touch with you, they want to follow this journey, they want to be involved in what you're doing, where would they go? They could uh, find us online at womenmovingmountains.com or they can send us an email at felicia at womenmovingmountains.com or if you forget how to spell Felicia, contact at womenmovingmountains.com and that'll come straight into me and our team and we'll be happy to be in touch with you and answer any questions and support your journey. Awesome. And we'll be sure when we share this podcast to include those links so that people can follow along. Um, what other pieces of advice or last tidbits would you give people? Oh, that's always the, the hardest question, right? The closing comment, <laughs> the takeaways. It, it's really to celebrate you um, and really create your definition of success, chart your course for your career and your life, and, and don't apologize for it. Right? We all have great gifts to give our friends, family, and our colleagues. And by standing into our full potential, we're really able to be the best version of ourselves. And, and I look forward to everyone being the best version of themselves. That's beautiful. I won't even elaborate on that because I think that that's perfect. Thanks so much <laughs> for sharing that. Thank you. Thanks for having me again today. It's been such a pleasure. Absolutely. Folks, this has been another episode of The Art of Strategic Reaction with Felicia Leon, and you can check her out at womenmovingmountains.com and uh, follow the links to follow her journey, grab her book, Women Accelerated. Thanks again for joining us on this episode, and we will catch you on the next one.